Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. I have to do a make good here. Uh, I played a I played a soundbite yesterday, but I didn't make the obvious point. Uh, by now, you've probably heard the the comments by the ar- arguably um, the dumbest member of, of Congress, Louis Gohmert, uh, who may not be the. I mean, there's a lot of competition for the dumbest member of Congress, but this was an instant classic yesterday. Uh, so let me play this again. And I understand from what's been testified to the Forest Service and the BLM, you want very much to uh, work on the issue of climate change. I was uh, uh, informed by the immediate past director of NASA that they have found that the moon's orbit is changing slightly, and so is the Earth's orbit around the sun. Uh, We know there's been uh, significant solar flare activity. And so is there anything that the National Forest Service or BLM can do to uh, change the course of the moon's orbit or the Earth's orbit around the sun? Obviously, that would have profound effects on our climate. Yes, it it would have profound effects. It would be big if true. And so I played that yesterday. And the obvious solution to the problem that, that Louis Gohmert is talking about, Jewish space lasers. Why didn't I not think of that? I didn't think of it until later. Isn't that frustrating? It's the French actually have an expression for that when you you're on the stairway and you and you think of the perfect line. But this would be one of those connecting of the dots uh, of Louis Gohmert with one of the other really stupid members of Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene. So at some point, there's going to be a caucus. It will be the Space Laser Caucus. Will they will be able to put their heads together and come up with uh, some sort of a solution for climate change? Uh, joining us today, somebody who spends a great deal of time immersed in the craziness of our politics, CNN's Brian Stelter. Welcome back, Brian. Hey, great to be here. Thank you. Well, I want to talk to you about your book, which is out in paperback, Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of the Truth, out in paperback uh, with uh, with a lot of new material, right? I mean, you, you, you really updated this. What, uh, 20,000 new words? Yeah, I couldn't help myself. You know, you start writing and writing and you know how it is. Well, you need to you need to update it. See, this is the problem. You know, I, back in 2017, I, I wrote you know how the right lost its mind, and then I I did a paperback update with a few thousand extra words. But if I tried to update it, it as how the right continues to lose its mind, I'd have to do it on a weekly basis, right? <laughs> Just, well, right, you know. well, for me, I'll, let me put it this way: I uh, I had to finish the hardcover last summer, and we didn't know the ending of the story yet. We didn't know if Trump would win re-election. We didn't know if Fox would get him over the finish line. And now we know. Now we know Fox lost and Trump lost, and uh, all the denialism led to the riot. And so I decided to rewrite the book, start with the riot, start with the right-wing media's role in the insurrection, and then I added 12 chapters at the end about all the aftermath. Okay, so before we get into all of this, uh, I, I just want to go back to something that that happened uh, recently. Glenn Beck, uh, who plays a major role in what's happened to the right-wing media, um, went on Tucker Carlson the other day and um, unapologized for something that he said. Now, for people who are just, you know, you know, tuning into the, the the crazy. Glenn Beck was really, he was really a pioneer of conspiracy theories, connect the dots, here's what's really happening on the whiteboard. Right. And he was on Fox for years. And I mean, really, in, in a lot of ways, he was, he was ahead of his time, wasn't he? He was. He was. He was. I think the, um, 
the dark conspiratorial tone of his show, which was so shocking to so many viewers 11 or so years ago, is now the basically the entire 24-7 uh, uh, strategy of Fox News, with a few exceptions. And but but after 2016, he they, he was he underwent a at least a temporary conversion. Uh, he he had left his show right by the time Trump was elected. When did he leave Fox News? Just, he uh, he left Fox News in 2011, if I'm remembering yeah, correctly. A long time he had ago. A falling out with Roger yeah. Ailes. It was in April of 2011, and, and and one of the issues was, you know, Ailes felt like Beck was. You know, acting too uh, big for himself, acting like uh, he owned the place when Ailes owned the place. So they had a falling out, you know, and Glenn went off and launched his own streaming service. And I think Glenn sometimes changed his tune and apologized for past mistakes and tried to sound more moderate to gain subscribers and appeal to people and make various business maneuverings. But time and time again, he's he's. After trying to do that, after trying to be more moderate, he's he's snapped back to the well. Right. That yeah, and and the, but this is interesting because I I kind of forgotten about the whole story about him and Roger Ailes. So R- Roger Ailes didn't think that didn't fire him because didn't push him out because he was too crazy or because it was damaging to the brand or because he was trafficking misinformation. It was really kind of an ego power thing. So that's all. That <laughs> it, well, it had a lot to do with ego. It also had to do with, with Beck's uh, advertising issues. There, there was a lack uh, of advertiser okay. interest in his show, but it, but it really had to do with Beck. You know, it, it, this is, let me tell you the Ailes view. The Ailes view was Beck thinks he's uh, you know, hot shit. He thinks he's bigger than the network. Mm-hmm. He thinks he owns the joint. Uh, nobody is bigger than me. Nobody's bigger than Fox. You know, it was kind of like Ailes had to make a um, hmm. uh, make an example out of him. Well, as as you as you pointed out, after the, the, the rise of Trump, we had at least the temporary new Glenn Beck who decided that he was he was sorry for all of that. He realized what he had done. He looked around and said, "Oh my goodness, you know, maybe spreading all this crazy bullshit uh, has has consequences. Maybe the assault on truth and conspiracy theories can 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 turn out badly." And he apologized, and he apologized for calling um, Barack Obama a, a a racist. And as you pointed out, he had his own streaming service, and apparently the I guess my theory is here is, is the the uh, he, he also then very quickly discovered that in right wing media there's no business model for t- that sort of approach. Um, th- this is all by the way. Just hold that thought. This is all lead up to his his unapology um, last week with. Um, uh, with 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 Tucker Carlson. So here, here's Glenn Beck basically unapologizing for calling Barack Obama a racist. Back then, uh, Tucker, you couldn't call a president racist. Uh, you know that back then that was crazy. Now that yeah. we've gone through the Trump era, I guess it's okay. Here's the thing: um, I apologized for saying that uh, about two years later um, because it was. Um, unartful. Uh, I didn't. Yeah. I, I I was thinking out loud, and I, right. I remember I was on Fox and Friends, and I said, "I think the president is a racist." No, that's not quite right. I think he just has a problem with the white culture. Well, that I mean, holy cow! What do you mean by white culture? I don't know, Marxist. Tell me now what you mean by white culture. I didn't. I I was. Uh, not versed on critical race theory. I wasn't versed in the language of Marxists. Now, Barack Obama, I am. I take my apology back. I was exactly right. And I even stated it right. And there we have it. Glenn Beck making the full, um, the, the, the full, the full circle on Fox News. 
and trying to appeal to his, you know, trying to win subscribers, right? I I think he's really doing that as a business move in the same way that he did in 2014 when he invited me to Texas and I walked around his studio with him and I interviewed him for CNN. And you know what he did? He talked to me about Walt Disney. He he wanted me to think of him as Walt Disney, as this media innovator who was going to reach hundreds of millions of people. But I I think Beck, you know, he saw the way the world was heading. He saw there was no no room for a Disney character, and uh, he went full he went full Tucker with Tucker. All right, so let, let's let's talk about this and the, and the update on your book hoax because it, my sense is, and you, you you talk about this every single day, and you write about this every single day, is that even though there was some speculation or maybe some irrational hope that maybe Fox might move back toward the center post-Trump, in fact, they've actually gotten woolier. They've actually become more extreme. The stuff they're ladling out is, I mean, they it's almost like they've, they've gone into the vault and they've, they've, they've brought out the really high-grade meth right now. So tell me about what's going on with Fox post-Trump and why they became, well, you, you can disagree with me, why they become even more shrill and more extreme since January. Well, I think it's for the reasons that you all cover in politics, in the GOP. It is a reflection of what is happening with the GOP, but also it is a driver of what is happening with the GOP. Uh, it, is, it is both um, because this is like a Ferris wheel. Uh, it goes round and round. They're hard to tell where it starts and where it stops. But clearly, Fox ran to the right after November 6th, after November 7th, after Biden was named president-elect. Viewers were, were pissed. They were disappointed. Some were in denial. And Fox responded to that by uh, trying to stave off Newsmax and One America News by adding even more right-wing talk. You, you would think there would be no room left in the schedule, but no, they found it. They, they found ways to minimize the news, to move Martha McCallum out, to push Shannon Bream to midnight. All those moves, if you add them all up, it all adds up to one thing, a lot less news, a lot more yelling about the news, a lot more cancel culture segments. Um to the point where, you know, I thought they had already ratcheted it up to 10, right? I thought right. they were already there, but they've risen it up to 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 now. So how much of that was um, concern about OAN and, and Newsmax? How, how serious did they take that as – did they take those that, that rivalry, that competition? Um, I sensed in November and October there was an attempt to severely downplay Newsmax's threat. Yeah. Um, you know, Fox is good at downplaying things. The pandemic, the riot, you know, they, they've tried to downplay Newsmax's threat. But behind the scenes, there was a real concern about Newsmax. Producers were told, you know, try to get Newsmax guests off that network and back onto Fox. You know, warn guests you can't be doing both channels. You know, they tried to flex their their uh, their power in those different ways to stave off Newsmax. Um, there there were you know um, marketing campaigns. Um, you know, Tucker Carlson clips running twenty four seven. All these different ways to signal to the viewers we are you on your team. We are not you know you, we're not the um, we're not the wishy washy moderates that Newsmax claims. And but I think here's the important thing: it worked. What Fox did in the last few months worked by minimizing Democrats on the air, by going even further to the right, by giving Dan Bongino a show. All the things they've done have worked. Newsmax has faded back down. The ratings have come back down. One American News is not rated by Nielsen, but we know it's relatively small compared to Fox. Fox is still the beating heart of the GOP. It was able to basically win its viewers back after Biden's uh, victory. 
So tell me about the significance of giving Don ben, Bongino a show, because I mean, that, that to me is, can be sort of symbolic of what they're doing there. I, I think it is very symbolic uh, of what they are doing. Now look, they have Trey Gowdy a show as well. And, and yep. Gowdy is, is more mm-hmm. of a reality based uh, yep. Republican voice, but Dan Bongino Saturday night, 10 PM, you know, what they are doing is they are trying to develop a talent bench that they have so that, you know, uh, the day Sean Hannity decides to retire, the day Laura Ingram doesn't want to stay up till 10 p.m. anymore, you know, whatever it is, they need to develop uh, their, their future stars. And they believe Dan Bongino is a future star in the same way, you know, they believe Will Kane and Pete Hegseth and, and, uh, and Maria Bartiromo and these figures are going to be big players in the future of Fox News. Okay, um, why, did, why did they think that? I'm sorry, explain this to me because I'm sorry, I, I don't get it. <laughs> Don Benjino strikes me as a caricature, a cartoon character of a, of a talk show host. If you were doing a Saturday Night Live spoof on Fox News, you'd have somebody who pretended to be as bad as Don Bongino. I'm sorry with his name. I like you your know, calling so, him Don. Let's do that. You know, let's, yeah, I Don, think that's going to get under his skin. Yeah. You know, I, you see, Dan Bongino the, is always a Dan. I'm you. sorry, Dan Bongino. That, but but, but do, do not do not edit out the fact that I got it wrong. Okay. Because, you're not watching you know, enough Fox. You're not watching no, I'm, enough Fox. I, you know, I can't take it, Brian. I, I, don't seriously. you think? Don't you think Dan or Don Bongino is is the is the id is the he is yes. the he is he is a big he represents a big chunk of the Fox audience, which is screaming, which is yes. yelling. Yeah, but where it's sort of like you know watching for the car you know car wreck you know when when is the roid rage going to hit right? Well, so that's and it. on his first episode on Saturday night, he said, "Why won't why, why can't the why can't all the deplorables just move move to the red states and we can all live in in, in bliss together?" And then he said, so he's kind of hinting at secession, and then and then he says at the end because they won't allow it. And I'm thinking to myself, who is the they? Like, Dan, who's stopping you? Oh, wait, you've already moved to Florida. Mm. You said in an interview you like it there because no one ever calls you nasty names when you go to the grocery store. That must be nice. You know, I, you live in a little echo chamber where he never asked to face anyone who disagrees with them. But I was like, who's stopping you from moving? It's it's this us versus them, all powerful they conspiracy approach to life. Obviously, it's a victimhood mentality, but it's a conspiratorial view of the world that has infected so much of Fox. And the reason I bring that up is the news side knows better. I always try to be this point. There are still journalists at Fox. A lot of them are unhappy, but they're still there. But they're still losing. They're losing badly. Real news isn't getting on the air. Dan Bongino is getting on the air. But this is really a darker vision. I mean, not to say that it was not dark up until now, but it does strike me that they have gone into this dark uh, conspiracy theory, us versus them. You are all victims. Um, we are facing this this existential assault on all good things of America. It, it, it You know, historians looking back on what happened on January 6th, the insurrection, need to spend some time watching these shows, don't they? To get an idea of, so what is the connection between what they are selling right now and what we are, what we experienced on January 6th? Well, you reminded me of what a a commentator said to me in mid-January, a Fox commentator who I quote in the book said, Fox is a really different place than it was Mm pre-election. You know, it's all about getting Dan Bongino and Molly Hemingway and these other media bashers on the air, more rational voices like Jonah Goldberg, Stephen Hayes, others, you know, are not on nearly Mm -hmm. as, as much or nearly as as much as they should be on, it, it just feels to me like everything tilts in the same direction. And to your point about what was being said before the riot 
you know, you got to go back to January 3rd and 4th and what Janine Pirro is saying on the air, what Mark Levin is saying on the air. Um, you know, you, you had this this sense of, for example, here, here's Janine Pirro saying, you know, the Revolutionary Wars, is anyone in Congress willing to battle for the America that those soldiers fought for? And then Mark Levin's on saying, any Republican who doesn't stand up and object to the results will be shredding the Constitution. It was like they wanted a coup. It was like they needed a coup. And then, you know, Wednesday morning, you know, Pete Hegseth is on the mall, getting excited for the rally, firing everybody up. Um, it was all, you know, they, 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 they pre-gamed it. They had pre-game programming for the attack. Now, obviously, they didn't know that there was going to be a mob that was going to attack the Capitol. But they were talking like we were in the midst of a revolution beforehand. And, and that, by the way, and that was on Fox. It right. was even more extreme on the other channels. Right. But it's gotten worse since then. And on the on this podcast, we've talked about the fact that you know what happened on January sixth is an ongoing threat. The kind of rhetoric that you're seeing now seems designed to stoke a repetition of that, or something even worse. At least well, it, the, it feels that way. Permission structure that was provided by Donald Trump years ago to believe whatever you want, to disbelieve whatever you want, to deny whatever you want, and I see that denialism on Fox every day. In what they don't do, they're not covering the riot aftermath. Like, imagine, you know, the war on terror back the Blue Network ignoring the consequences of the terror. Of the terror. Well, that's what they do. They don't, you know, at CNN every day, there's all these emails, uh, all these internal emails um, with like planning notes, you know, what's coming up tomorrow, right. what's going on in D.C. And then every night, you know, uh, on the D.C. note, there's a list of of all the um, uh, insurrectionist uh, um, legal notes, right? Yeah. Here's, here's who's going to be uh, uh, in court tomorrow. Here, here's which cases matter most. There is a, a news structure, right, that continues to cover the aftermath every day. And there's no version of that at Fox. It, it's, I think it's the, most, um, it's the most transparent example of their agenda we've ever seen. Okay. Well, this, Fox this, is supposed to be the, the pro-police. As we all know, it's supposed yeah. to be the pro-police anti-terror network. And they obviously ignored this terror. Okay, so how does it work there? Uh, you 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 have sources over over at Fox News. Do they? I mean, do they have meetings where they set what the agenda is going to be? Saying, you know, I want lots more on uh, cancel culture. We need to talk about critical race theory. We need to talk about you know X, Y, or Z. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about X. Right. We need to be bashing Tony, you know, Anthony Fauci more aggressively. I mean, it does it. Is it does it is it top down? Is there some sort of central hub where? You know what I'm saying? That where is it all? How are they so disciplined on their messaging? There are meetings, there are editorial meetings, but it is really not very top down. Um, I pick. I haven't said this before, but I guess what I'm picturing is a plane up in the air, slowly. You know, without pilots, it's on autopilot. Nobody's steering it. It is slowly coming toward the ground, you know, on a very slow incline. Nobody knows it's a problem. Nobody knows it's an emergency, but nobody is 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 on the flight deck. No one is flying the plane, mm -hmm. and I, I think that might be a fair assessment of of the situation. Uh, that is very interesting. You know, it's 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 it's, so it's it's not that it's not that the Murdochs say I want two blocks every hour on critical race theory. 
they are absolutely not saying that. Lachlan Murdoch is in Australia. He's so many time zones away. Uh, Rupert, you know, is spending time with his family and and living the dream with homes all around the world. And, you know, he's a 90-year-old guy you know, living his best life. And he loves gossiping with his newspaper editors, but he's not on the phone with Sean Hannity every day. So it's it's a version of autopilot that is in some ways, if anyone's steering it, it's the viewers, it's the audience. Um, See, this uh, is this is a point that I don't think some people get is the way in which the conservative media follows the audience. They know what the audience wants, what the audience will tolerate and not tolerate. My sense is that the Fox News audience really wants Fox News to be a safe space, right? So they, first of all, are increasingly intolerant of, of ideas and voices they disagree with, correct? Um, I, you know, I listened, uh, I was on the C-SPAN Thursday morning taking viewer calls for an hour and many of the calls were from Fox News fans. And I, first of all, I loved it. It was awesome. Um, You're I, a great I man. Once a week. Cause it's, you know, you, you get a sense of, of what's out there. And, and number two, the Fox viewer, the Fox fans think I'm a huge liar. Of course, they, they think I'm the minister of disinformation and, uh, and they, and they are, they are not just supportive of Fox News. They don't just defend Fox News. They're they feel they're part they, they're part of Fox News. They right. believe they're part of Fox News. Um, so an attack on Fox News is an attack on them. It is an attack on them, and I think that's in the same way that you know uh, Trump. And that's you know critical to understanding Fox. That it's a part of identity. It's a part of a way of life. Uh, and in that way, the pressure is on the hosts and on the producers to keep keep on keeping on to keep providing that. Right. So it's no wonder why you leave with immigration every day. It's easy for them to do. It's logical. It's cheap. All you have to do is have one, one guy at the border doing live shots and maybe put up a drone camera to make it more interesting. And that's it. Uh, and it, and it kind of runs itself in that way. No, I think that, so how many people watch Fox news? I mean, who are these people? I mean, what, what is, what is the, well, do you, do you obviously know that you have the numbers. So on an average day, you know, many millions of people are seeing Fox because at any given time of day, let's just say the 24 hour day today, at any given time, 1.3 million people are watching on okay. average, which means even in the middle of the night, you know, there are lots of people watching Fox News. 1.3 million is the average because Tucker is getting 3 million viewers at 8 p.m. He's by far the highest rated show. Um, the 5 at 5 p.m. Eastern is oftentimes the, the second highest rated show. It does very, very well earlier in the day. But anyway, at any given time, 1.3 million people. But, you know, not everybody's watching all day. So right. that cumes up to several million people a day. It cumes up to 40 or 50 million viewers okay. on an average month who at least see the channel once or twice. But I think Fox's power is derived from that base. Uh, one to 1.3 million, let's say that's three or 4 million people who are glued to it throughout the day. That I think is really where the power lies. And yet 3 million people in a country our size is not that many. And I, so the, 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 the power of, of Fox, how much of it is real and how much of it is perception? Uh, you know, we, well, we know obviously the Republican politicians live in fear of, of being, of getting negative coverage. I mean, you know, John Boehner talks about that in his book, you know, they, right. they, you, know they, they, you know, when, you know, crazy Michelle Bachman comes and wants a, a key uh, appointment and he says, I'm not going to give you that, uh, that committee position. She says, well, I'm going to go to Fox News. And eventually he sort of caves and gives her a, a spot on the intelligence committee. So, so again, so how, how do you respond to that, that, you know, you know, three million may, may be a lot in, for, for, you know, a cable television television show, but right. in, in a nation our size with, you know, hundreds of millions of voters, not that much. 
so, so my reaction to that, and of course, I'm a cable news host, so I'm I got yeah, to sit in this game, and and you know, CNN actually reaches more people in an average month even than Fox. My my reaction to that is uh, these networks do set the agenda in important ways because they are on in newsrooms, they are watched among journalists and politicians, they influence the conversation, and and they they are kind of consumed almost. Um, uh, passively in some cases, like, for example, if you poll, if you do a poll of American adults, um, 30, 40, 50% of them will tell you that they watched CNN or Fox that day. Hmm. Even if that number, even if that's not actually quite true, they, they perceive that they're consuming CNN and Fox. They, they, they sense it out there in the landscape, even if you only watch for a minute that day. So, so, so there's power that doesn't show up in the raw ratings that is important. Um, and, and furthermore, Fox is the beating heart of the GOP, in my view. So is, things right. that start on Fox in front of 3 million viewers get amplified to another 30 million via social feeds, uh, via websites, via other networks. Look, the Kamala Harris, why haven't you gone to the border? That's a great example. It goes from Fox to NBC. It's everywhere, right? But I do agree with what Jay Caruso wrote earlier this week um, on his Substack. He said, people talk about the base, but 15%, it's really not the... It, it's the activist wing is the better term. He says it's the 15%. The activist wing is really, you know, has too much power. And I think that's really what, what Fox is speaking to, the activist wing of the GOP that sets the agenda. Am I, no, I, am I crazy? No, no I, 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 think that's, I, th I think that's true. So let's talk about going back to this theme of how it's gotten worse. And I use the, I use the analogy, the perhaps offensive analogy of, you know, that they're giving out the stronger form of meth. Tucker Carlson in particular um, has really ramped up a lot of his rhetoric um, on a variety of issues, including immigration and race, um, appearing to openly embrace uh, the replacement theory, which is a, a narrative very popular in white supremacist circles. I mean, and it was pretty, pretty shocking stuff when he's talking about, you know, the I mean, that was what was chanted at, uh, you, know, you know, down in, uh, you know, the we, we will not, you know, we will not, you know, we I'm sorry, Jews will not replace us. Um, and the American, I mean, sorry, the Anti-Defamation League wrote a letter to the executives at Fox saying this is too much. This has gone too far. You need to get rid of Tucker Carlson. The Murdochs seem to have doubled down in supporting Tucker Carlson. So uh, talk to me a little bit about what's going on because the it strikes me that the rhetoric has become much rawer, less subtle, um, more extreme, and that and that Fox executives seem to be okay with it, at least for now. They are okay with it. Um, they may wince, they might cringe. The more liberal executives might turn off the TV. You know, the folks that sell ads for Fox who don't believe in the political agenda at all um, make excuses for it. But yes, they, they, they are, they are, they, it, it, you know, there's, there's no, um, there's no pushback. There's no pushback on Tara Carlson among management. Um, Lachlan Murdoch recently called him brave. And that sums it all up in one word. If you've got Lachlan calling you brave, you can do whatever you want on TV. Um, I'll tell you a story about my old blog, TV Newser. I was in college, yeah. I was blogging about TV, and Fox would you know, send me items. Fox PR was very interested in my blog. They grabbed a picture off Facebook one day. I, I posted a funny picture of me with beer spilled down my pants. And they, you know, typical college, you know, and so they, they labeled it TV Boozer instead of TV Newser. TV Boozer. And they sent yeah. it to one of the other blogs. And, you know, supposed to, I guess it was supposed to embarrass me, but I, I thought it was pretty cool. So uh, thank you, Fox PR. So fast forward almost <laughs> 20 years now. Um, I think, uh, Fox in the in the Biden era is um, 
is all boozed up. And, and here's what I mean. Think about like a, like a drunken night out. You've had one too many beers. You've had one too many shots. What do you do? You know, do you settle your tab? Do you call an Uber? Do you sober up? You, you know that's what you should do. You should just like back away from the bar, go home, sleep it off. But the booze beckons you to order another round, right? Like the beer beckons you to order another beer. And I, and I really think Fox in the Biden age, it heeds the alcohol's advice. I mean, I feel like Fox orders shots for the entire bar. So you're talking about meth, but I'll just keep it with the legal drugs. Like I, I think it is a, it's that situation where you are, you are drunk and you go and you order that next drink that you know you're going to regret. You're going to have a hangover, but you can't help yourself. And unfortunately, like when I'm watching the network and every hour, it's the same story over and over again. I think it's the booze. But it's working for them. But tell me about the advertisers, though, because we've talked about uh, we've talked about the audience, what the audience wants. Um, advertisers have uh, taken stands against Tucker Carlson, but that doesn't seem to register. It doesn't seem to have any effect on Fox. So how does that work? Because you would normally think that if you have a show that has no paying advertisers or very, very few paying advertisers, that that would be problematic for a network like Fox. So why isn't it? I think there's a couple of reasons. It, it may be problematic around the edges. Um, I, I do believe Fox is is losing out on um, on potential revenue uh, at, at 8 p.m. Meaning, if they had a host uh, at that hour who uh, was not as toxic as Tucker, they could they could absolutely sell more in advertising. They could make more money. But l- dropping Tucker, demoting Tucker, would be such a blow to the Fox brand. It would be cancel culture is, is the way it would be framed on Newsmax. It would send viewers fleeing for Newsmax and One American News. It would cause a ruckus like you've never seen. Uh, and and Lachlan and, and Rupert are not going to do it. They're not. And, you know, and, and it, look, there's a part of me that respects that uh, as someone on television. You want your bosses to have your back. Uh, it, it, but right. it's well. different with Tucker. He's not being managed. He's not being um well, it's just it's different in a lot of ways, but but anyway, I think that's the issue. I think you know the, the, the desire not to appear to be caving to liberals to ad boycotts. You can't do it. Yeah. Um, it it's, an, it's a huge emotional pull. You know, the audience would reject it. And look, they do have my pillow, and I say that seriously. They do have my Lindell. They do have direct response advertisers who are willing to spend money at eight p.m. So at least they have some advertising, and uh, and they can keep it up in that way. Yes, my 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 pillow guy. Well, speaking of like hopelessly naive, as you know, Brian, I actually wrote an open letter to uh, my old friend Paul Ryan, who's on the board of uh, the Fox Corporation, saying if yeah, you want to break the news, how did he reply? What did he write back? Well, I think you can guess. Um, zip, nada, nothing. Crickets. Well, I'm sure he just doesn't um, have the right address. Well, see, here's the. I say, I'm right here. I haven't moved. I'm right. Here. I'm still here in Wisconsin. You know where I live. So I, I guess you know. So what I was thinking was that at some point you have, for some reason, Paul Ryan is on that board. There's only seven members of that board. If you're going to draw the line, I mean, if you're going to take a stand, um, well. If you know, if not now, then when? Uh, when they're pushing these racist memes like the replacement theory, when they're undermining democracy with you know the distortions of of the truth. Um, but clearly, uh, he's not doing that. Um, clearly, he's not taking my advice. Uh, clearly, he is, um, and, and there doesn't appear to be any atmosphere, you know, any 
any appetite to do that. So do you have any sense of, of what goes on inside these boardrooms? Is it the same sort of thing? Is it like somebody says, hey, this is pretty bad. You know, we're peddling raw racism and, and lies. And somebody else says, yeah, we're not going to rock the boat. The, this is the way the Murdochs want it. How does it work? Well, number one, uh, you know, they are talking about in in these meetings, they are talking about uh, dividends and compliance and, you know, uh, expansion plans and uh, acquisition targets and streaming wars. You know, they're they're thinking about that picture and not the editorial picture. And and let me say, as an anchor at CNN uh, owned by AT&T in the process of being uh, spun off into a new company, uh, I don't want the AT&T board interfering in CNN. And, uh, and I don't believe they ever have. Uh, I believe that there's a, a very strong firewall and that, uh, you know, Republicans or Democrats on the AT&T board shouldn't be commenting on uh, Trump coverage on CNN or Biden coverage. And that's the way it should be. However, the reason why I think your letter to Paul Ryan registered well mm-hmm. and resonated with me is um, news should not be interfered with. Right. But, what they're doing at primetime on Fox, they're not covering news. They're, they're not going live to correspondence in the field. They're not interview. you know, they're not, they're not, it's, it's, it is much more akin to propaganda than it is news. And it is much less tethered to reality than, than what happens on other channels. So um, if you're a board member, I think you have an ethical responsibility uh, to try to encourage your content to be reality based. Well, and no, democracy. So uh, let me just, I just want to acknowledge that, like yeah, that yeah. tension, right? Which is, I don't want sure. the board members interfering in the news coverage, but they're, what they're doing is not news. Well, it's also, you know, look, you're, you're Paul Ryan, you stand for something, you have a, you have a legacy. Um, and what is the point of doing this if, if in fact you don't take a stand on all of this, unless of course you buy the, the argument that, uh, that the only role of a corporation is to enhance its profitability and it has no moral, um, no, no moral culpability for what it does. But it would be like being on the board of directors of a company that was spreading toxic uh, nuclear sludge, you know, in, uh, in, in residential areas. At some point, you, 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 do, you do take a, a stand. Okay, so your subtitle is The Dangerous Distortion of Truth. And we are at a moment now, Brian where, uh, according to the New York Times and confirmed by National Review, that the president has been telling people that, in fact, he does think he might be uh, reinstated as president in August, which will, of course, not happen. And we find out from um, a poll last week that uh, nearly one out of three Republicans, 29 percent, think that that might actually happen. So we've been talking about living in a post-fact world for the last four years but it's like we've moved on. We were like we're like north of that now, into complete batshit crazy doom loops of 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 crazy, and clearly Fox News. I mean, Fox plays a central role in that, doesn't it? I think they're at the top of the funnel. You think and, so? And uh, what what they do sometimes is is somewhat more respectable, uh, not 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 as explicitly kooky as what you're going to see on One America News. But they're at the top of the funnel and they're leading people down. Uh, they provide cover to the crazy conspiracy stuff that you see on your Facebook feed. So even though Hannity's not on the air talking about Trump being reinstated, uh, he's talking about how how uh, awful uh, Biden is and suggesting that Biden's not altogether in the head. And that makes you then think about whether there's going to be a change. Like It's the top of the funnel and it leads people down from there. Okay, so I have a question, and this is speculative because we don't know the answer to this. But what if 
Fox News decided, all right, you know, we're, we're, we're right wing and we want to uh, bring down Joe Biden, but we need to push back against this distortion of the truth. So what if Fox News hosts, one after another, um, aggressively pushed back against this false information, aggressively said, this is not true, you shouldn't believe it. Would it make a difference or would the audience feel that they were cucking out? I think some viewers would change the channel. I don't, but I don't know how many. So I'm, yeah. I'm hesitating a little bit. Uh, yeah. You know, what I know is that Neil Cavuto stands up for yeah. what's true from time to time. I also know he has one of the lowest rated hours of the day. But, you know, he's still there and he's still doing his job and he still has a, 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 a sizable audience. Same for Brett Baer at 6 p.m. He's probably the most prominent example of this. Same for Chris Wallace on the weekends. But after you name them, the list starts to get pretty short. I mean, you start to run out of names pretty fast. Yeah, I just I just wonder whether or not, you know, part of me thinks that if there was pushback on this, people would go, okay, so, you know, if Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity say this is not true, I'm, I'm going to think it's not true, and we'll we'll go on to beating up on Tony Fauci again or something like that. Well, it reminds, but, me, uh, it reminds me of the day that Tucker Carlson came on and called yeah. out Sidney Powell. Yeah, the and, one yeah, day. We've been calling yeah. you, asking for evidence. Show us something. And he really put distance with Sidney Powell. And, and that got a lot of attention off of Fox. But then, you know, she's still booked on other shows. Her theories were still being spread on other shows. So I think sometimes those moments of, um, of truth, they end up being swallowed and, and um, subsumed by the, by the whole. So you talked, you made a reference before about the tension internally between the news and the opinion side. Um, you, you do have people like Chris Wallace, who I don't think anybody thinks is, when you think of Fox News and the, and the propaganda arm, you don't think of Chris Wallace. So what is that like? What is it like being, do you have a sense of, of, of how these guys navigate that contradiction within the same organization? The word that comes to mind is blinders. Um, Brett Baer, for example, has told people that he has horse blinders on. It, it's supposed to mean that he he solely focuses on his hour, 6 p.m. He doesn't he doesn't think about what Tucker is saying and what Fox and Friends are saying. And, um, you know, that's I guess that's one way to get through it. I guess that's one way to do it. Um, I don't think it would work for me personally. I don't know if it would work for you, but uh, horse blinders is, is is the term that comes to mind. Okay, so can I ask you an awkward, awkward, unpleasant question? Haven't you already been uh, been doing? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, go for it. I'm no, ready. no, I've, I've been giving you. You know, I'm in I'm in your wheelhouse so far. You know, uh, throughout the entire conversation, <laughs> you know, we're we're talking about these these hosts who have clear political agendas, etc. But you know, you have over at CNN, you have Chris Cuomo. So tell me how you handle that. Because this is your network, Chris Cuomo, with Andrew Cuomo, the fact that they were strategizing, push back right. on the women and everything. This is an awkward position for you as a media critic, isn't it, Brian? Um, maybe, a, maybe a little. Well, it looks awkward from the outside, yes. Yeah. Uh, I did not find it to be awkward on the inside, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Um, at CNN, I work on one floor. Cuomo works a few floors away. I don't really see his team. Well, even even pre-pandemic, I wouldn't really see his folks. Um, you know, I do know Chris, and I and I like Chris, and I'm and I'm grateful uh, uh, that he's part of CNN because I think he's a really strong host uh, and and has a lot to say. But you know, I, I keep a distance, and I and I do that on purpose. You know, because I'm both an insider and an outsider at CNN. Uh, you know, occasionally covering uh, covering our yeah. own news. So the way I the way way I saw it is number one, um, 
if you go back and watch Chris uh, last March and April, when he is telling viewers what it's like to have COVID, he was the most prominent American to have COVID back then. Like he was, Tom Hanks was in Australia recovering, but like Chris Cuomo was living COVID every night and telling you about the aches and pains and the struggles. And uh, forget about whether that was, you know, good television. I believe it was a true public service. Yeah, but and, I'm talking about the con. I'm talking about the conflict of interest. I, mean, I know conflict, you are, and I, yeah, and I believe yeah. him even yeah. interviewing his brother was was a true public service. However, you know, at the end of the interviews, he puts a, he holds up a, a Q-tip, an oversized Q-tip, makes a joke that fell flat, and then gets used against him by Fox for a year. Obviously, you know that that was a bad look. And then, more importantly, more recently, uh, you know, he, he's not covering the the Governor Cuomo news at all on his show, which is, of course, the right the right thing. But the stories that have come out about. Uh, Chris being on phone calls with governor's aides. Um, I'm really glad that CNN straight up said that was inappropriate. And I think more importantly, that Chris came on the air and apologized to his colleagues, to, to CNN colleagues, for putting us in a bad spot. I, I have to tell you, I think that's pretty rare. I, I don't see it happen very often to have a, a cable news host apologize for anything. So I thought that was a big deal. And then in terms of your actual question about me, and my role, you know, my role is to foster a conversation. So my view is book people who are going to bring important points of view about this. So Eric Wemple of the Washington Post uh, brought up the Cuomo conflicts of interest on reliable sources. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a, a couple, few weeks later, I had, um, i trying to remember, we had, we had a couple different guests, Perry Bacon, talk about this on the air, other guests, just straight up, talk about it, criticize it, call it out. So that, so that basically we, we were airing it in public. I think that's the right approach that's the healthy approach, and it shows that we are not. Uh, um, it, it shows that um, we hold ourselves accountable the same way we want to hold everybody else accountable. You know, we should have we devoted an entire show to this this asymmetry between um, the the say legacy media and uh, and some of the conservative media. That the legacy media will get stories wrong. We'll we'll have we'll have mistakes, but then we'll correct them. We'll engage in introspection. We'll go back and say, how did we handle you know the the uh, the COVID lab story out of Wuhan, et cetera. Uh, you never see the same sort of introspection on the part of the folks from, say, Fox News or the right-wing media, because you can get one story wrong after another, and they just simply move on. And, and it is interesting the way in which they will weaponize the mistakes of other media while never acknowledging their own. And I know you've talked about this extensively. <laughs> uh, I have. I have. I've noticed it, too. I mean... Look, we, we all are all we are all flawed. Uh, CNN has flaws, just like just like NBC and ABC have flaws. But I, I do believe that at least we we see those and talk about those and try to improve on those. And, and what I do see at Fox differently is this um, uh, self awareness or transparency about it. Um, and I hope and I hope viewers see that for what it is and recognize the difference. Brian Stelter, thank you uh, so much for coming back. Uh, the book is Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. It is out in the new edition, a uh, very much expanded new edition in paperback. Came out just last week. You can see Brian Stelter, of course, on uh, CNN. And of course, I'm a subscriber to your daily newsletter as well. Brian, thanks for coming back. Hey, thank you. Thanks so much. Well, I, I I have been I have been a fan of that newsletter from the very, very beginning. It's one of the reasons why I was kind of inspired to get into the newsletter business. And for all the rest of you that listened to today's Bulwark podcast, thank you. Uh, I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again.